This is Dory Clark, author of Stand Out, and this is the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast. I'm your host, Douglas Burdett, and my goal in this podcast is to help you discover new ideas about what's working in modern marketing. Don't worry about taking notes. I'm going to do that for you, and you can find them at marketingbookpodcast.com. Today, I'm joined by Dory Clark, and we're going to talk about her new book, Stand Out, How to Find Your Breakthrough Idea and Build a Following Around It. Dory is a marketing strategy consultant, professional speaker, and frequent contributor to the Harvard Business Review, Forbes, Entrepreneur, and the World Economic Forum blog. Dory is also the author of Reinventing You, Define Your Brand, Imagine Your Future. She has been recognized as a branding expert by the Associated Press, Fortune, and Inc. Magazine, and is quoted frequently in the media, including NPR, the BBC, MSNBC. She has been named to the Huffington Post's 100 Must Follow on Twitter list. She was also named one of Inc. Magazine's 100 Great Leadership Speakers for your next conference, and recognized in Forbes as one of 25 professional networking experts to watch in 2015. Dory's career has stood out in a number of different roles, including being an award-winning journalist, a presidential campaign spokeswoman, a documentary filmmaker, and having taught marketing at a number of universities, including Tufts University, Duke University, and the University of North Carolina. Dory, congratulations on Stand Out, and welcome back to the Marketing Book Podcast. Hey, Douglas. I'm glad to be back. Thank you. Well, let's get started with the big question. What is the one key contribution you sought to make with your book? Well, ultimately, what I was hoping for standout is that you know, we live in a world, as we all know, I mean, I think marketers are more keenly aware of this than most, that is increasing in the number of people trying com to communicate, the, just the, the overall noise. Everybody has uh, something they're selling. Everybody has a blog. Everybody has a podcast. Yours is the best, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Yes, anyone can do this, people. No, that's right. But you know, there, there's a lot of competition out there for for eyeballs. Uh, you know, people uh, people are trying to break through, and unfortunately, what too often happens is the loudest voice wins. Uh, people break through because still they, they have um, the most money, or because they're screaming the loudest, or they, they're saying you know the the most uh, controversial things. And really, the world that I hope to live in is a world where the best ideas win. But we can only do that if we level the playing field and if everybody has equal access to the knowledge of how to spread their ideas. And so my hope is that people can read this book, entrepreneurs, marketers, uh, you know, anyone with a cause or an idea that they care about, and learn about the strategies that they can follow so that they can get their idea out there more effectively. Let me just read one quick excerpt from the book that I thought really captured that. Too many of us shrink back when it comes to finding and sharing our ideas with the world. We assume the leading experts must have some unique talent or insight. We assume that our own ideas may not measure up. We assume that working hard and keeping our heads down will be enough to move our careers forward. But none of those things is true. Most recognized experts achieve success not because of some special genius, but because they learned how to put disparate elements together and present ideas in a new and meaningful way. That's a skill anyone with hard work can practice and learn. 
Let me just tell the listener about how the book is organized. It's, it's three sections. It's uh, finding your breakthrough idea and then building a following around your ideas and then making it happen, but all the specifics of, of what you can do. And I found it interesting at the end of each section, not even each chapter, but just the sections, you had a section on uh, ask yourself these questions. And here I was just trying to read the book, and now you're making me think. <laughs> I'm on to you. And then there's a <laughs> bunch of review questions at the end, but really I did take away a lot of, of great ideas uh, for myself. Let's talk about the breakthrough idea. And if you could talk a bit about how people can go about finding that, maybe some examples of folks that have done that and, and how that's tied into that, I think, often misunderstood word thought leadership. Yeah, absolutely, Douglas. And uh, I'll actually just just mention uh, since you brought it up, the uh, questions at the end of the uh, of each section in the book. Um, I actually have compiled them together into a uh, a free workbook for people. It is uh, it's called 139 Questions to Help You Find Your Breakthrough Idea and Build a Following Around It. And uh, and it's this you know sort of spiffy uh, spiffy. 42-page uh, free download that I actually have. So if any of your listeners are interested, um, on my website, doryclark.com, they can get their their standout self-assessment workbook. Oh, um, so yeah, if, if people want to go through and ask, it is totally free, oh. exactly. Just like your <laughs> other book, you have Reinventing You, you had the uh, another free resource there that uh, I didn't want to tell the listeners about, but that you blurted it out. So <laughs> that too was free. But of course, I think you see either one of those tools, you're going to want to read the book too. So yeah, we can we give them a taste. So yeah, how how do you find your your breakthrough idea? What I discovered in the course of writing this book, in which I interviewed more than fifty top thought leaders from a variety of different fields, you know, salient for marketers. Uh, I interviewed a lot of some of the biggest names in business, uh, everybody from Seth Godin to Daniel Pink, uh, Robert Cialdini to David Allen. Um, but what I discovered was that when it comes to developing your breakthrough idea, there are five chief strategies that these thinkers used. Um, you, you certainly don't have to use all five. Uh, you know, it's, it's about picking what resonates the most with you and then going for it. And very briefly, they are, number one, developing a niche and then expanding out from there. So getting known uh, as, as an expert in a sort of narrow thing and, and then uh, moving beyond it strategically. Uh, number two, is combining fields or disciplines because it's it's very hard to innovate within the confines of a particular field. But if you can bring things together, um, your listeners are probably going to be familiar with the Lean Startup, the the bestseller that Eric Ries uh, wrote a couple of years ago, and that's taking something as old line as auto manufacturing and the lean processes of auto manufacturing, combining it with startups, and it creates something really new. Um, so that's the second strategy. Number three is doing original or independent research. This is something that is sorely lacking in the internet era because everybody has an opinion that they want to share with people, but too few people have facts, have new things to contribute to the dialogue, whether it is original uh, interviews that you do of people like a journalist. It could be doing case studies. It could be doing surveys uh, or analyzing data. Any of that really contributes something new to the discourse and is a, a big deal. And that was also such a great, um, <laughs> I want to say back in the day, that was always one of the greatest PR approches. Yes. Is to do your own research. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. People, people love it. it. It's news, you know, and, and fundamentally that's what people want to cover. The fourth strategy is attacking a big problem, you know, going, going after the big ideas. I think a lot of times people aim too narrowly when it comes to, to what, you know, what they're concerned with. But if, uh, you know, marketers know this, right? If the, the product is, oh, we, you know, we made our, our, iPhone a half inch wider, that's not really that exciting. You want to aim at the big idea because that's where breakthroughs really happen is, is important topics. And fifth and finally, it's what I call creating a framework. Uh, so it's taking a field and really creating an explanatory structure that helps people understand it better. Like, you know, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in her five stages of grief or Robert Cialdini in his, you know, six principles of influence and persuasion. One quote from the book that talks about that is you say, if you can explain things well and make them relevant to a broader audience, you can become a recognized expert. And the Lean Startup and, and Dr. Cialdini were, uh, you might want to go into a little bit more detail about how Dr. Cialdini was aware of these different concepts, but he was able to break them down and organize them. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the, the really interesting things uh, that I discovered when interviewing Robert Cialdini. I mean, I, I think one of my goals in the book as a whole was that for a lot of these people, and, and perhaps this is the same for your listeners, it, it seems like they kind of shoot from nowhere to ubiquity. And nobody ever tells the story in between of how, you know, literally what's that moment, what's the tipping point where they go from being anonymous to having this idea that's on everybody's lips. I wanted to uh, to understand what that moment looked like and and try to see if if we could recreate it, you know, what what would it look like for a regular person uh to try to do it. And so for Robert Cialdini, um he actually when he was coming up with this uh framework of influence and persuasion, you know, I mean, obviously people have talked about influence you know, from the beginning of time, from the beginning of humanity. But he really was the first person through a very interesting process of essentially apprenticing himself to sales professionals. Now, he's a psychology professor, but he literally got jobs where he did trainings in how to sell vacuum cleaners and how to do door-to-door encyclopedias and, you know, all, all, of these, uh, all of these things where he was being trained just the way salespeople were so that he could learn the proprietary trade secrets that were not being shared with academics. And as a result of this knowledge that no one else had ever had ever gotten because he was trying really innovative methods, he was able to discover, actually, there's only six ways that people are persuaded. Mm-hmm. And a couple of takeaways there was, from reading the book, was it wasn't cheap to do that either. He, it was actually more expensive to go out and do some of that research. And another one for me was it didn't happen overnight. This took a lot of work. Yeah, exactly. He he told me uh, that you know these these hands-on field experiments that he did in psychology uh, actually ended up taking about three times longer than doing similar experiments in the field. And you know, so it, it makes sense why other people hadn't done it before. I mean, clearly in academia, if you were being rewarded for publishing a lot of work and you know for sort of pumping out data quantity sort of matters more than quality at a certain extent. And so if something's going to take three times as long, well, guess what? That's three times as as far away from getting tenure. Uh, So the incentives are not aligned. Mm -hmm. But he 
he distinguished, and a lot of people don't do this, he distinguished between what was difficult and what was impossible. And he realized a lot of people thought it was impossible to actually do field research in psychology. Um, but he thought, you know what, it's just hard, and I'm willing to surmount the hardness. And so his very first experiment that he did, um, which I thought was pretty fantastic, is um, he recruited students to be um, – essentially United Way door-to-door fundraisers. And they were on a totally randomized basis. This was, it had very strong uh, controls in this experiment. They sent people door-to-door. And for one group, based on their address, they just went with a normal United Way script. And with a second group, they did a change. And they did normal script for United Way. But at the end, they added the phrase, even a penny would help. Mm -hmm. And that dramatically increased contributions and was able to demonstrate things that if they were doing that experiment in the lab, you'd never know for sure that it would really translate into the real world. Um, But this way, you knew for sure what people would do, and it it revolutionized the field. Mm -hmm. Last night, I went to a talk given by Guy Kawasaki, and he recommended two books, and they weren't his books. And one of them was Dr. Cialdini's The Psychology of Influence book. Mm. And the other one was How to Win Friends and Influence People. <laughs> and there, oh, were number yeah. of, there were a number of university students there, and he said, now listen up. When an author tells you what books to read, read them. <laughs> 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 so in the book, you talk about how you don't have to be the world's expert in order to become an expert. You just have to be willing to help move the idea forward in your way. Yes. Which leads us to thought leadership. And thought leadership is a term that's thrown around quite a bit, sort of like big data. And I think it's probably misunderstood and misused. Can you talk about what thought leadership is and how to do it effectively? I thought it was extremely well explained in the book. Yeah, thank you very much. So ultimately, one of the points that I try to make in Standout is that a lot of people are held back from even bothering, even you know, even thinking about or, or trying to become a thought leader because they think, oh, that's not for me. You know, that's just for special people. And besides, um, you know, everybody can't be a world expert. And that's 100% true. You know, certainly not everybody can be a world expert. But that is not what we are asking. Um, really, if you want to give yourself as a marketer increased job security, if, if you want to set yourself up in a really powerful position, um, one of the best things you can do is to become a recognized expert in your field. And it, it doesn't mean you know, that you are Guy Kawasaki. What it, what it means is that within your local area, and that could be local as in your town, it could be local as in your company, what can you become known for? So there is there is a real benefit, a bottom line benefit to your career that comes with something as simple as being the person at your company who knows the most about search engine optimization or the person who knows the most about, uh, you know, mobile apps and marketing on mobile apps. You know, any any of these things, if you can really develop a reputation around it, it gives people a reason to seek you out and to choose to work with you, even when you are not the cheapest option. And that is a powerful tool for any professional to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also talk about how it's important that people uh, be themselves. In other words, it seems like with thought leaders, people look at 
someone who's well-known as an expert, and they think, well, I need to be just like them. And it seems like that's where it, it fails, because they're not being true to themselves, and they're probably not playing to their own strengths. Yeah, yeah, no, I think I think it's a really important point because obviously, I mean, you know, people, I mean, we see this in politics, right? Um, voters can spoke a fake, and so exactly, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, it doesn't it doesn't go well when people think that uh, a politician is trying to be something that he's not. In fact, in my first book, Reinventing You, which we uh, previously did an episode talking about, one of the case studies that I talk about is Al Gore and the fact that. You know, he really only came into his own in a big way after he had given up trying to be president. And, uh, you know, he, he had always been interested in environmental issues. Mm-hmm. And so finally in the mid-2000s, he just decided to go for it and geek out and start doing his presentations about uh, about climate change. And he it, it, he single-handedly almost elevated the issue to the national consciousness and you know in the in the middle of it he wins a nobel prize by the, the way. movie about him wins <laughs> uh, an a, an oscar right right yeah yeah, yeah and exactly. it seems like an example of somebody following their following their passions obviously yeah and you know prior to that uh when he was running for president that that really wasn't in evidence at all he his advisors and you know, I, I say this as somebody who worked in politics and knows how the process works. His advisors, you know, looked at it and said, "Oh, climate change. No one cares about that. Don't talk about that." And they they tried to sculpt him into something he wasn't. They tried mm-hmm. to turn him from a policy wonk into a crusading, you know, the people versus the powerful guy. And people looked at it and said, "That's not Al Gore. That's ridiculous." And so, as a result, he you know he did not gain the traction that perhaps he he should have otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, so. He's really a case study of somebody who uh, people looked at it and said it was not an authentic message. And so, similarly, you know, as professionals, when we think about what should our brand be, how do how do we want to best stand out? Um, the authenticity is the starting point. You know, what what do you want to bring into the world? Well, it starts with with who you are and what your special sauce is. And you know, you are not going to appeal to everybody. That's okay. Um, no one, no musician, no rock star, no politician appeals to everybody. The trick is to, you know, as as Seth Godin and others have talked about, to find your tribe. And you can only do that if you are upfront and authentic about putting yourself out there uh, in a true and honest fashion. Mm-hmm. In the second section of your book, uh, Building a Following Around Your Ideas, you talk about building an audience and building a community. Can you explain the difference between the two? Yeah, absolutely. So really, when it comes to building a following around your ideas, um, what I discovered throughout the course of doing these interviews was that it's a a three-step process, fundamentally. Uh, The first one is what I call building a network. And that is cultivating the type of intense one-to-one relationships where you have a trusted group of of friends or advisors in a sort of a a mastermind group or a kitchen cabinet where these folks know you, they have your best interests at heart, and they are uh, able to help you in the early stages refine your ideas and get them to the place where they're they're able to be uh, taken in by the public. The second phase, building an audience, is what we more typically think of as marketing. It's sharing your ideas with the public, making yourself and your ideas findable through social media, through blogging, through speaking, etc., uh, and and getting the word out. That's sort of one-to-many mm-hmm. uh, conversation. And then finally, it becomes many-to-many uh, because the true test of an idea is 
when other people start talking about it. it it's, you know, when it's no longer just you and all about you, uh, it becomes something that has enough resonance that other people want to become the ambassadors and they want to be spreading the word. Mm-hmm. And that's when you have a community. Well, before we wrap up, let me ask you a couple of uh, marketing book-related questions. Uh, is there a recent marketing or business book you read and recommend? And I know you read a lot of them because you, all, you're, you write about them in Forbes as well. I do, yes. Uh, so what I'm reading right now, I actually got it as a review copy and have been enjoying it a lot. Uh, it's it's just a little different than the typical marketing book or, or business book that, that I read, at least. Uh, and it's called the the Great Beanie Baby Bubble. <laughs> and uh, got to read it. Got to read it. <laughs> it's pretty fantastic. It's by a guy named Zach Bissonette, and uh, literally, it is just uh, an intensive chronicling of Beanie Babies and how they came to become a viral sensation and how they crashed. So for any marketer that's interested in creating a phenomenon or what that looks like, uh, it's a very in-depth case study. So I've been enjoying that. That sounds very interesting. A lot of uh, great marketing implications there, as well as psychology, since we've been on the topic of uh, that's right. of that. Um, are there any uh, marketing or business books that are on your upcoming reading list you're looking forward to digging into? Yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, interesting things that uh, that come my way. Um, probably uh, probably the one that I'm really looking forward to is uh, the second edition of a book by my friend Dave Kirpin uh, that just came out in the last couple of weeks. It's uh, Likeable Social Media Second mm-hmm. Edition, mm-hmm. and uh, so he's updated it because social media is uh, clearly changing pretty fast. Uh, but he's a he's a great thinker and strategist when it comes to social. Yeah, very popular. Uh, how do you continue your business education like who do you follow and and what what kind of things do you read and listen to and and how how do you do it how does dory clark keep up yeah so in terms of my own personal education when it comes to uh to marketing and uh and you know branding one thing that i really like is i subscribe to smart brief on social media um, the Smart Brief series are these daily free emails that you can get on a variety of topics. And uh, social media is the one that that I uh, get every day. And it's just a, a very useful way of knowing what the latest trends are in a very fast-changing area. Uh, so that's, that's a good way. It's kind of a, a daily compendium uh, that keeps me updated. And, uh, it's like it's pre-curated, too. Yeah, exactly. That's really helpful. And then, um, you know, there's there's some email newsletters that I really enjoy. Uh, you know, some are particularly well done. So I always like learning from uh, from my friend John Corcoran, who has a great one, from uh, my friend James Altucher. And uh, I don't actually know him, but uh, I enjoy Noah Kagan's emails a lot. I think they're, they're quite well done. Hmm. Well, we're going to have some good uh, links in the show notes again this time. Yeah. Well, Dory, thank you very much for being once again on the Marketing Book Podcast. Douglas, thank you. Great talking with you. And that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. Links to everything mentioned are in the show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And while you're there, you can subscribe to the podcast newsletter so you can get notified of every new episode, its show notes, links, and other cool stuff. Also, at marketingbookpodcast.com, there are about 20 free marketing ebooks on a wide variety of topics that lots of people find helpful. If you're one of the people who have left an iTunes or Stitcher review, I can't thank you enough. 
It's amazing how a one-sentence review really helps increase the show's visibility in the podcast directories. Finally, I really get a kick out of hearing from the listeners. To send a message, just go to marketingbookpodcast.com and click on the Contact Podcast button. Got an idea or suggestion? Hit me up. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Till next time. There was one particular line in your book that really touched me, and it's when you said, pets teach us about unconditional love in ways that humans simply can't. And I, you were That was just in the acknowledgement oh. section. I've got a 13-year-old dog, and we know he's not going to be with us forever, but he is the sweetest dog in the world. So, Aww. And I think we, it's almost like we want to spend more time with him, you know? <laughs> so, so true. Yeah. So don't think people don't read those acknowledgments. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.